Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Hello and welcome to this week's Farm Talk. I'm Barry O'Mahony. John O'Connor is taking a well-earned break over Christmas and the new year, but we will hear from John next week with some of the Farm Talk highlights of 2023. Thanks to Murray Tuhig, Katie O'Keefe and Stephen Fox for their contributions to this week's programme, which again has a festive feel about it. Gronya Hurley joins us from Tagusk, and later she'll look at how the advisory service managed its operations during the year. Over the Christmas and New Year programmes, Gronya will review how the various sectors performed this year and she'll also look ahead to 2024. First up, we look at dairy, cattle and sheep in 2023 and general costs for the farmer. The Outlook 2024, um, which is a report released by Tagus, uh, last month by Tagus Economist, provides the latest estimates of average incomes for various farm types in 2023 and also looks ahead um, at future prospects or forecasting farm incomes in 2024. So just to give an outline of that, really, I suppose, just to see how, how the year went. Um, look, I it was a high production cost environment in 2023. Um, it has dominated agriculture over the last two years. Looking at the cost for the full year, there, has, there was only a minor reduction in production costs in 2023 versus 2022. Um, but at the same time, been, there has also been a significant negative price movements on some farm output prices particularly milk and, and cereals. Um, we saw that the dairy farmers and tillage farmers' incomes are estimated to be down sharply in, in 2023. And the cat- incomes on the cattle-rearing farms are estimated to be up from uh, particularly low levels in 2022. Um, we see the incomes on cattle farms, uh, mainly finishers, are expected to be relatively unchanged in 2022 level. Uh, as the positive effect from higher finished cattle prices is offset by lower production volume. Incomes on the sheep farms in 2023 are also estimated to be relatively unchanged on 2022 levels. Just in a bit more detail, I suppose, with the sharp decline in milk prices and with the average milk production cost close to 37 cents per litre in 2023, it's estimated the average dairy farm income will be down about 60% quite significantly, you know. Um, this decrease would bring the average dairy farm income in 2023 back to €59,000 on average. Um, we've seen that Irish milk production as well is expected to be down about 1% in 2023 compared to 2022. Um, while dairy cow numbers have actually increased marginally, it's been offset by slightly lower milk yields, and, and that's really in the face of, of lower milk prices as well, you know. On cattle, the average income on the cattle rearing farms is estimated to have increased by about €2,000 or, or 24% in 2023. And that brings the average cattle rearing farm income up to around um, 10300 based on, on the report. Um, this, this estimate increases largely due to increasing young cattle prices during the autumn and some declines in input expenditure. And we also saw the introduction of schemes such as the SKIP and the National Welfare Scheme and also the Acre Scheme as well. And they provide significant support for incomes for farmers in the system. Um, while wind prices are estimated to be up around 7% this year, um, elevated feed prices and overhead costs mean that the average net margin on cattle farms is really look at probably break even position in, in 2023. Um, the average income for other uh, cattle farms this year is forecast to be unchanged at about 18,600. The average annual 
finished cattle price was about three and a half percent higher in 2023. However, beef production has decreased by four percent this year. Um, and we saw the majority of farms in both cash systems continue. They benefit. They continue to benefit from schemes such as the Father Support Scheme, which was actually introduced back in 2022. And um, just look at sheep, sheep farms. Um, we have experienced uh, about a three percent drop in lamb prices in 2023, um, with reductions in total production costs. And um, we saw that sheep meat output volume is marginally up in 23, and the average sheep income on sheep farms in 23, which is again further supported by payments such as the sheep improvement scheme, is estimated to be about 17,000 which is about 4% higher than the previous year in 2022. The Nagri Food Regulator will be formally established for the first time. The independent body will be in charge of publishing price and market analysis of the food chain. It will also stop unfair trading practices. Chair of the Agri-Food Regulator, Joe Healy, says it should be fairer for everyone involved. It's very important that we're independent and we're set up, as you said, to promote fairness and transparency in the agri-food supply chain. And the idea is that the more awareness that's created, uh, the more fairness that will be right throughout the chain, every link of the chain, whether that's at supplier level, at producer level, at processor level or at retail. We'd encourage uh, the suppliers who are victims of unfair trading practices to report them. And it's, it's up to us then to do the investigations. And, uh, you know, if there's uh, a law to be enforced, we'll enforce that law. Commenting on the formal launch of the food regulator, the president of the ICMSA, Pat McCormick, said the regulator must send out a strong signal from day one that it's intent on exposing margin grabbing and delivering supply chain transparency if it's to win the confidence of the farmer primary producer. He said that while all will welcome the establishment of the office, farmers are reserving their judgment on the regulator in the hope that finally meaningful attention will be directed towards food price transparency along the chain. The danger here, according to Pat McCormick, is that the new office just joins the long list of toothless agencies that seem to stand by wringing their hands when confronted with obvious unfairness and discrepancies in the pricing allocated to the different stages of the food supply chain. Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, has successfully secured an increased mackerel quota share for the Irish fleet. Following intensive engagement at the EU Fisheries Council of Ministers, Minister McConnellow successfully negotiated a permanent allocation of additional mackerel quota for the Irish fleet. This year, the EU's negotiations with the UK and Norway concluded in advance of the December Council. It means that there will be no need for provisional total allowable catches and quotas as the final full-year quotas will apply from the 1st of January 2024. A not-for-profit organisation working to establish and conserve permanent native woodland in Ireland has secured its first site in County Cork. Home Tree has purchased an eight-acre site near Dunamore through the support of a local donor. The site will be used as an educational facility to host school and college groups, as well as a showcase location for professional farmers. It will look at the ways in which they can integrate native trees into intensive farming systems. For more information, visit hometree.ie. 
The new chair of Dairy Industry Ireland is Pat Sheehan, Chief Executive Officer of North Cork Creameries. He takes over from Conor Ryan of Arabon, whose two-year term will end on December 31st. Pat Sheehan says he's honoured to assume the chair for an industry that contributes significantly to Ireland. The industry employs nearly 55,000 people and generates over 17.6 billion euro in economic activity to the state, including 7 billion in exports. One third of fatal accidents on Irish farms involve people who are 65 years of age or older. Most of these fatal accidents are associated with tractors, machinery, livestock or falls from height. All too often farmers think that will never happen to me but all it takes is a split second for a serious injury or death to occur. Getting old can affect a person's mobility, eyesight, balance and reaction time. Remember or remind those close to you to recognise physical limitations and assess dangers before carrying out hazardous work. If you're farming with an older relative, ask yourself Should they be carrying out the work at hand? If not, remind them to ask for help or encourage them to carry out a more suitable task. It's right for older farmers to keep active on farm. Give them the support by giving them important but safe jobs to carry out. Farm Talk on C103. Fair seas are warning that the failure to progress marine legislation jeopardises nature and climate targets. The government's committed to a marine protected area bill, but as yet there's been no significant progress through the houses of the Oireachtas. Fair seas campaign coordinator Dr Donald Griffin has been telling me more about it. The government have promised to introduce marine protected area legislation in um well, it's in the programme for government set out originally in 2020 and we were told last year that it would be published and in the public domain, the first draft of the bill um, by the summer, by July 2023 this year, um, before the dull summer recess. And unfortunately, um, despite some pr- really great progress at the start of this year regarding the general scheme and the Joint Directors Committee pre-legislative scrutiny, that that target was missed. So we still haven't seen the first draft of the bill. And then, of course, we had the summer recess and all the politicians were back in to work then in September. And we were told then that, OK, we would definitely see this legislation before the Christmas break. Um, unfortunately, the, the doll um, and the Rockers broke up there. Uh, and we still have the bill still hasn't been published. So uh, fair seas are quite clear that this is really, really important piece of legislation. This will allow Ireland to create new nationally based marine protected areas. And ultimately, that is to help protect and restore um, marine biodiversity, species, habitats, ecosystems. It's really badly needed because... We have amazing biodiversity here all around Ireland. We're really lucky and privileged, but actually we should look at that biodiversity and see it as a fraction of what it once was and what it could be. So we're really missing out on the full potential of the sea and the full health of the sea. Um, So this, and we view this legislation as really critical to improving the health of the sea and protecting and recovering um, our, our sea life. Um, so we really, what we're saying now to government is we, it really needs to be the top of their entry 
their priority list in the new year when they get back to work in January. Donald, there are EU targets to designate 30% of our waters by 2030. Maybe you can just remind us what this Marine Protection Area bill would do in in respect of that. Absolutely. So you're, you're absolutely right. Ireland actually has committed at a national an EU, as you mentioned, but also an international level to designate 30% of our seas as a marine protected area by 2030. Um, currently, we're at 9%, in and around the 9%. So we are a long way uh, off from that 30% in, in you know six or seven years now. It's really not that, that long away. And we have capability at EU level to designate SPAs or SACs under the EU Habitats and Birds Directives, and we have that's what our neighbours our current MPA network is made up of. But we really need this new nationally based legislation to help us get up over the ten percent, up over the twenty percent, and up towards the thirty percent in a really short period of time, really in the next six seven years. So this legislation will allow us to do that. It will allow us to meet our biodiversity targets with respect to MPAs, and that is why. Fair Seas are calling for this legislation to really be prioritised in the year because there, those targets, those 20, what we call them 30 by 30 targets, 30% by 2030, they're really at risk now. Um, and of course, next year, there's um, there's the local, the EU elections. There are potential of a general election at some stage. Um, you know, we, we, the government really needs to get on and do this and make sure that it doesn't fall through the cracks or get kicked down the road, um, um, risking the, the, all their great progress that they've made so far. And how are we, uh, in terms of other countries, how far down the line are they, Donald? Are we well behind? Well behind, unfortunately. Um, there's a line that's throwed out quite a lot. Ireland is a laggard when it comes to marine protection um, and from an EU perspective. So we're at 9% and actually shortly, just over a year ago, we were actually doing 2%. You know, we were in about the 21 2.3% of our seas were designated as a marine protected area. Um, but there has been some good work absolutely over this past year. There's been a new, a couple of new offshore sites, really large areas offshore. There are new SAC, special areas for conservation. There's also a new special protection area in the Irish Sea. So that's brought our percentage coverage up to uh, in and around 9%. Um, but we are well short of that 30%. And we... Uh, in, in the Europe, in the Europe tables, the league tables of marine protected area um, coverage, we're down very much down in the bottom half, and that's not where Ireland likes to be in those sorts of league tables when we come to EU and internationally. But this legislation really is an opportunity for Ireland to jump up that league table and to kind of leapfrog many of the other countries and to, to really meet our 2030 target, but we really won't be able to to, to target without this new legislation that allows Ireland unilaterally to go ahead and designate these new um, these new sites at sea. So on January 16th, the doll will return. How optimistic are you that progress can be made from that date? Uh, well, I um, I like to be optimistic. I like to be, I call it ocean optimistic, so uh, ocean optimism. I think the, the opportunity is absolutely there for the government. It is really now a case of, of, of the will of government. Do they want to prioritise it? Do they want to get on with it? And, you know, they, they have done fantastic work to now, you know, they're, 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 the, with the bill. We believe it's drafted now. We believe it's just in the queue, in the pipeline, you might say. So there's really no reason why they shouldn't get on with it and they they can't get on with it. So I am optimistic that maybe by the end of January, 
uh, maybe February um, that they they will publish the bill and then that the the official process of turning this bill into and enact, enacting it into a law can begin and we can get it done before um, at least before the 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 summer recess of 2024. But having said that, and as you said, I like to be optimistic. There is a, if this is pushed on past February and into March, and then we have an early Easter next year, and then there's Easter break, and then it's a hop, skip, and a jump then to July. Um, with the elections in between complicating everything and maybe slowing down legislative business as well, then there's a real, there is still a, a very real risk that this isn't done in time before possibly a general election then in the autumn, um, and that would really be disastrous and it would it would be a real missed uh, opportunity and a known goal by government not to get this done while they have the opportunity uh, and while there is willing public, you know there seems to be cross party support for this, um, you know there is. Um, there's a lot of sectoral report as well, as well uh, from industry. Um, uh, so it really needs to get done as soon as possible. New Year is, is my view. The recent change of the capitation by revenue on the VAT refund for farmers has left thousands across the country under financial strain, according to a Cork TD. Farmers had previously been able to reclaim VAT paid for essential farm items and the VAT can still be reclaimed if a farmer is registered. However, many are not, as Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan explains. This is a very serious issue that is impacting farmers right across the country. You know, revenue uh, seem hell-bent um, on not allowing farmers to uh, claim VAT back uh, on many items that they would have traditionally been able to claim VAT back on. Uh, look, it's a reality here in Ireland. Farmers, in general, there's a practice that they don't register for VAT. That's the way it's always been. Uh, because registering for VAT and the accounting involved in that comes with a massive extra cost. Um, so there's no need to change that practice as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but what needs to change here is revenue's attitude towards the interpretation uh, of this practice. There's um, many farmers out there uh, especially young farmers who have taken out significant bridging loans. Um, they're investing in their farms, uh, they're investing in the sustainability and efficiency of their farms, uh, but they're taking out these loans in the expectation that they will be able to claim the VAT back. Uh, and now uh, they're being told that uh, revenue will not allow this to happen. Um, and it's causing serious concern, um, serious anxiety uh, amongst farmers. Farmers have been through a tough 12 months. There's no doubt about that. Any, any of those in derogation who were impacted by derogation and the changes there may have to lose cattle uh, in January. You know, we have the fallen animal situation that still hasn't been uh, rectified. And then you have this issue where farmers are no longer to claim VAT back on essential items such as, as uh, auto- automated calf feeders, for example, or automated scrapers or, or bolt tanks, all really important pieces of infrastructure. Um, so, look, I've raised it in Doyle. I've raised it with Minister McGrath. Uh, and I've asked that common sense prevail here and that revenue, uh, someone needs to, to talk to revenue uh, and ensure that common sense is applied in this situation and that farmers are allowed to go on claiming VAT back, especially those farmers, for example, who have um, availed of TAMS grants. You know, uh, those TAMS grants will almost be completely wiped out by um, this interpretation of the VAT rules. Uh, so it needs to change now. To children, the farm is a playground. But remember, it's really a workplace with many hidden dangers. Children should always have adult supervision and a safe area to play in. Hazardous areas such as slurry pits should be fenced off and have signs alerting all to the dangers within. 
to a child, a shed full of hay bales screams fun. In reality, accidents such as falls, crushing or suffocation involving hay bales are all too common. Don't give children the habit of going for a spin. The Children in Agriculture Code of Practice states that under sevens are not allowed in the cab of a tractor or near other farm machinery, even with the passenger seat installed. Animals guarding their young can be aggressive and unpredictable. Keep children at a safe distance from livestock at all times. Children don't always understand danger. Talk to them today about safety on the farm. Farm Talk on C103. Patrick Frankel is an organic farmer in Donneril and featured in our Hours to Protect series on C103. He spoke to Katie O'Keefe about the business at Kilbrack Farm. And we are next to Donneril Park in North Cork. And what is your business, Patrick? Uh, the business here is organic farm with uh, vegetable production. We fatten cattle and we juice apples for apple juice. And tell me, where did the idea come from for, for you to start sustainably growing? Uh, this is probably going back to the, the 80s. My dad was a doctor in the village here and he decided to use less pesticides, sprays, chemicals, all that, uh, interventions with the animal. And it wasn't really organic as, like, at, at the time, uh, but he was going that way. And then I think we were certified in 2002 organic. Uh, so he was the originator along with my mother. And I actually studied science and completed a degree in 2006 and then came to the farm. Uh, and I got into it then. And so sustainable growing, explain that to someone who doesn't. Okay. Uh, I think in a way, a good way to visualize uh, the difference is diversity. So if you look out of your car window as you're driving along, you might notice like hedgerows and open fields with grass in them or fields, tillage fields with grain. And it's essentially a few species growing there and a hedgerow and then more and more. Whereas sustainable growing would incorporate a really high diversity of plant species integrated possibly with animals uh, that you're farming uh, and it, in a sense, like there's a lot more life, uh, a lot more habitat, a lot more soil health because of this diversity, uh, which seems to be uh, a blueprint print taken from nature, essentially. If, if the climatic factors and the land is correct and you leave nature to do its thing, it will be very diverse. And sustainable means that you can produce without soil degradation or habitat degradation, crops year on, maybe even improve the land. Uh, so I think in terms of how we're doing it, uh, there wouldn't be a lot of uh, like soil disturbance here. It'd be minimal tillage. Uh, we'd add a lot of uh, manure, anything to improve soil fertility. And it's essentially about keeping the soil really healthy. So the things that live in the soil you're feeding them, not the plants. And just as a sort of interesting way to view that is if you have healthy soil, you dip a spoon, like a teaspoon into it, and you hold that up in front of your face, there's more life forms in that teaspoon than humans on the planet. So if you feed those, like, you know, bizarre, complex, microscopic life forms, 
uh, you'll tend to have really good crops and less disease. And for someone who thinks like sustainable growing isn't possible, can you do it in your own back garden? Totally, yeah. Now that's the thing. Like, um, it's not very complicated. Let's say if you have a little plot in, behind your house, you could create a no-dig garden, which essentially is adding mulch on the ground and not disturbing the soil structure. And over time, you'll almost create what's like a forest floor effect. If you ever go into a forest, you don't see a lot of weeds. Uh, and that's because of all the mulching of the leaves over time. And if you do that in your garden and you keep applying good quality compost, what happens is your soil improves. You have better abilities to hold moisture, you have better fertility, you have more life in the soil, and you have very good structure. So structures like air in the soil and earthworm channels and all that. So yeah, I think just by uh, adding good co quality compost, maybe bringing in some beneficial plants that, um, let's say in the summer, calendula would be a, a companion plant that would encourage uh, ladybirds in, which eat green fly, you might try and do uh, like some trees so you have like three dimensions in your garden and maybe some uh, fruit bushes too. Anything that gives diversity. I mean, you don't actually need to know a lot. You just need to know that it should be diverse. As someone who's like a local producer, mm -hmm. so the Kilbrack Farm, what's it like knowing that your your customers, how what's their response to locally getting their... I think the response from local customers is they're very uh, pleased to know where the food's coming from. There's been some shock documentaries and, you know, uh, it, it not, it's not always that reassuring when you see how crops or even animal products are produced. So if someone can come to the farm or see how we're doing it, uh, there's a peace of mind there. Uh, and crucially, I think if you order locally, you tend to get it fresh. And it doesn't take long for the beneficial nutritional qualities of like fresh uh, vegetables and fruits to degrade. You can hold them in bags with in inert gases. You can refrigerate them and you can have them in a, a form of, you know, stasis where they look like they're fine, but actually they could be a week old. So I think locally supplying means fresh and it's important for quite a few people, not just that it's organic, which is important, but um, that there's low food miles. So that's another aspect of it that I think is really beneficial and less packaging. And in low food miles, so for someone who doesn't really understand what that impact would be, can you explain? Well, it's, here's a good one. If you go into a supermarket and you buy, let's say this time of year, Morse 2 peas, you might notice on the packet Peru or Spain. Uh, so essentially what's happened is someone has you know, used fuel to harvest that, to refrigerate it, which requires energy, that's releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Then they've shipped it here or flown it here under refrigeration. Then it's been stored at a depot, then distributed to the supermarkets. Uh, and then it ends up in the consumer's hands, whereas if you go direct, you skip out all those steps. Uh, so there's less fuel essentially required if it's electrical fossil fuel, whatever it is. Uh, and that's, you know, someone was telling me once, whatever you're doing, just follow it to its logical conclusion before you make your decision. So if you pick up something with high food miles, just follow the chain and then you might feel, actually, you know, I don't agree with that. I'm going to look to see if I can find it locally. And 
like you I mean, there's been crazy instances where Spain has been sending broccoli to England at the same time as England has been sending broccoli, broccoli to Spain. They literally cross over in trucks along the roads in continental Europe. And there's food miles, you know, whereas like at this time of year, we can grow much too. We can grow the things that we're importing. And yeah, I think if you just think about it enough, it's, it will encourage someone to be proactive. Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Senator Pippa Hackett, has published her department's forestry licensing plan for 2024. The plan estimates the department will issue 4,200 new licenses next year and confirms the department has capacity to issue sufficient licenses to meet its annual target of 8,000 hectares of new forests. Referring to the plan, Minister Hackett said the focus of her department and for the forestry sector more widely needs to remain resolutely on maximising afforestation rates and managing existing forests in order to ensure the targets outlined in Ireland's Climate Action Plan are achieved. Landowners and farmers must obtain a licence from the department before planting or felling a forest. This is to ensure that all forestry activity protects the environment, follows sustainable forest management practices and abides by the law. A nice article in the online edition of the Southern Star. Brian and Ethan Bottomer from Ross Moore with Cahill McCarthy from Ballygratine alongside Cahill's Ford 5000, a tractor which was previously owned by his grandfather, Jerry Kyohan, which he sold in 2000. Cahill located the tractor in County Leash and brought it back after 23 years. Richard Bottomer, Brian and Ethan's grandfather, originally bought the tractor new in 1972 in Shortens in Ballinine. The tractor was recently on bailing duties at the Ballygortine Tractor Run at Tots Pub, Ballygortine Cross, in aid of Cope Foundation Cork and Dunmanway Community Hospital. Bordiski Wada, Ireland's Seafood Development Agency, has once again joined forces with the RNLI to run a number of man overboard challenges in 2024. The free one-day experience is open to anybody working on board a fishing vessel or shoreside, including those in the aquaculture sector. Sessions are designed to mimic a realistic incidence of falling into cold sea conditions, wearing full work clothing and without a personal flotation device or life jacket as they're commonly known. This is then followed by the same experience with a correctly fitted PFD to show the importance and impact of wearing the right equipment. The 2024 challenge will run at the National Maritime College of Ireland Ring of Skiddy on Wednesday, the 14th of February. Farm Talk on C103. Grania Hurley from Tagus joins us again to look back on the advisory activities in 2023. 2023 has been an extraordinary busy year for, for advisors. Um, we've had over 20 schemes. I think advisors had to had to submit work with with their clients. You know, so schemes including the BIS scheme, Chris, the Eco scheme, the ANC, the Disadvantaged schemes, Young Farmers, and we, we new schemes came in this year like the Lime scheme, the Children Centre scheme. I mentioned about the SCEP scheme and we're just um, a lot of the, the, the acre scheme had just recently closed um, and again we had a lot of trenches with, with the TAM scheme the grants for the farm so look there was a whole diligence scheme this year so again it was, we saw a lot of um, 
uh, work on extra work on, on advisors and, and farmers. Like, and again, we saw that. I suppose there was also there was a lot of um, new regulations um, with the nitrates. Um, for example, we saw the new the milk bending coming earlier on this spring. So, you know, there was that change in the system, which was quite demanding for, for advisors. Outside that, you know, um, the advisors continue to run um, for, with a good strong number of dairy, dry stock and tillage discussion groups across the, the region. And again, we, held, we continue to hold a number of very successful events, you know, across all the enterprises, collaborating with, with our stakeholders as well as in the region. We also launched, a, which was a very important campaign for us, the Signpost Advisory Campaign um, that was launched across all uh, Tagus regions. And in Cork West here, we, we, we have um, John Crowley and Anthony Deneen, our, our two climate advisors, and they've been busy out with farms and out with discussion groups and at events developing personalised plans for farmers to help them to, to put a plan in place on their farms and how they're going to reduce their emissions. So again, that, that, that will continue well into next year and in the future as well. Um, so look, I suppose it's been a busy year and, and I just want to thank take this opportunity, Barry, and to thank all the advisors in the local offices here in Skibbereen and Clankilty and McCroom and also in the Cork East region, um, covering the Middleton Mallow for my and Kentork offices. Um, so I want to thank all, all the advisors and I want to thank the administrative staff as well. Look, they are the backbone to, to our local advisor offices. They, they, they keep the whole thing moving for us. So again, super, superb job by our, our admin staff. And I want to thank our, all our clients and the wider public as well for the support during 2023 and looking and, and looking continued support again in, in next year. And finally, I want to wish everyone a, a happy Christmas and New Year for 2024. As the song goes, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Many of us will have the pleasure of feasting and sharing beautifully prepared meals with friends and family. But there can also be a downside, and that is the amount of food waste that we generate at Christmas time. Dr. Sinead McCarthy, Research Officer in the Department of Agri-Food Business and Spatial Analysis, Chagas Ashtown, writes about this in the Thagish online section and is well worth a read. Well, turkey sandwiches, it seems, are our favourite way to use Christmas leftovers and help reduce food waste. EPA figures show households produce over 220,000 tonnes of food waste every year. A recent survey threw up some very interesting results, as Katie O'Keefe has been finding out. My name is Odile LeBlanc and I am the Food Waste Prevention Team Lead with the Environmental Protection Agency. Christmas is coming up, it's that time of year and the EPA are trying to highlight that Christmas leftovers will help reduce food waste. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I suppose we know, you know, Christmas is there's more food uh, where, you know, we're entertaining more. And so obviously, you know, people also notice that food waste goes up at Christmas time. So what we're trying to, you know, remind people is we we love to make some helpful tips. And the idea just being that appreciate your leftovers. And in fact, we know that Christmas is a time where we, we enjoy leftovers. And we like to think of the 26th of December, Stephen's Day, as National Leftovers Day because it is actually when we all make the most of the food that we have and, uh, you know, eat our leftovers. So and what we found is we did a short survey and we found that um, most people actually, overwhelmingly, 78% of people say cold meats are their favourite leftovers from the Christmas dinner. Sandwiches are the overwhelming 53% of people say turkey sandwiches are what they like to make out of their turkey leftovers from the Christmas dinner. I 
suppose our statistics are annual, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly the tonnage. But I, as I said, people, you know, 44% of people say that they waste more food at Christmas. And, you know, logically, what we know throughout the year, the reason that we waste food is we buy too much and we don't use it on time. So obviously we do slip into that a lot at Christmas time where, you know, we might buy too much food. We over anticipate how much we're actually going to need. So part of our tips, you know, while while obviously using your leftovers is is a key tip, really it's around planning, you know, think about food maybe that wasn't eaten last year is is a big tip where um, you know, and, and actually part of our survey as well, the poor old Brussels sprouts, <laughs> yeah, you know, a huge amount of people. Forty-two percent of people said that Brussels sprouts are the most commonly wasted food at Christmas time. So maybe have a look at that. You know, if that is something that does get wasted, you know. And I know we're all very reluctant to change tradition. So maybe it's just it needs a new recipe to, you know, pep up your sprouts in some way that everyone will eat them or buy less of them as well. So you know, plan for how many people are coming. We do tend to kind of oh, what happens if somebody unexpectedly calls and I suppose our advice there would be you know not to stock up on things that go off quickly the perishables because you know shops do open again quite quickly after Christmas so you know maybe have things in in that mightn't go off as quickly that you'll be able to use later on in the year if they don't get eaten around Christmas time but you know just think twice if you're going to be buying you know prawn ring or you know those kind of things that might go off very quickly. Annual sheep and goat census forms have issued to over 49,000 sheep and goat keepers registered with the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. In keeping with previous years, the department has selected Sunday, December 31st as the 2023 census date. Keepers should be aware completion and return of the census is a legal obligation. Keepers are also required to record the census data on their flock registers. Failure to return a completed form on time could impact on eligibility for certain DAFM schemes. Postal returns will continue to be accepted up to the 31st of January 2024. However, the department is encouraging keepers to return their census data online via agfood.ie are digitally through the new AIM Services mobile app that can be downloaded to a mobile device and can be accessed using the Keeper's agfood.ie username and password. An extended deadline of the 14th of February 2024 applies to returns which are submitted online or via the app only. Roberts Cove New Year Tractor, Truck and Car Run will take place on Sunday, January 7th. Registration at 11.30am in Tracton GAA Hall, Menan Bridge. The funds raised will go to the Tracton Community First Responders. New and old machinery will be on view and all are welcome. Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Senator Pippa Hackett, has published her department's forestry licensing plan for 2024. The plan estimates the department will issue 4,200 new licenses next year and confirms the department has capacity to issue sufficient licenses to meet its annual target of 8,000 hectares of new forests. Referring to the plan, Minister Hackett said the focus of her department and for the forestry sector more widely needs to remain resolutely on maximising afforestation rates 
and managing existing forests in order to ensure the targets outlined in Ireland's Climate Action Plan are achieved. Landowners and farmers must obtain a licence from the department before planting or felling a forest. This is to ensure that all forestry activity protects the environment, follows sustainable forest management practices and abides by the law. Next, our reporter Stephen Fox has been meeting some seed retailers in Cork who explain more about their business. My name is Madeleine McKeever and I run Brown and Love Seeds. I came down to West Cork in 1987, I think. I'm from County Mead originally, I grew up on a farm. And when I came down to West Cork, I wanted a cheese maker, really. So we bought a small farm and some cows and we were trying to make cheese. But really, we weren't big enough to, to get going. So I started doing the seeds instead. So we sold our first seeds in 1999 and it's been growing ever since. What's different about them is that they're grown in Ireland. Like the only but seeds that are grown in Ireland are going to be better adapted to growing in Ireland because seed packets don't actually have country of origin on them, generally speaking. So you could be buying seeds from Pakistan or Israel or anywhere. Most seeds are produced in warm, sunny places, places of the Mediterranean climate because they need somewhere that isn't too cold in the winter for the biennials and then they need a warm, sunny season for the seeds to mature in. So that can be a challenge in West Cork, depending on the year. But with polypanels and that, there's nothing we can't really do. Most of the seeds you buy w- would have been grown in somewhere warmer and sunnier. Traits such as germination at low temperature are inherited. I mean, even without us consciously doing any selecting on the seeds, the plants that don't come up in a cold spring aren't going to end up producing seeds. So we'll gradually be selecting stuff that will do better in a cold season. Long term, too, we're very vulnerable in Ireland because we import nearly all our seeds. You know, most of the non-organic commercial growers, all their seeds would be important. And, you know, if there are any seed shortages, because, for instance, places like the Pacific Northwest of America produce something like 99% of the Brussels sprout seed in the world. Because I thought we'd be... We'd manage without Brussels sprouts. But it'd be a shame if we didn't have Brussels sprouts. And it makes sense to produce our own seeds because if there's a shortage of seeds in America or wherever, they're not going to send them to us. Yeah, my name is Aideen McCarthy and I run a business called Irva. Um, it's a seller of native Irish wildflower seeds and I sell also related gifts, kind of gardening gifts. And how have things been on the run up to Christmas? It's been super. Like the, um, I've been here now last weekend and the weekend before and you notice it's funny that as it's the last week it's a lot of like last minute shoppers uh, but it's a great opportunity for people because there's a lot of variety here um, and you can kind of get something for everyone. And is there anything in particular that people are looking for this year? Um, well, I found that there's, like, for me personally anyway, with the wildflowers, there's a growing interest in um, planting seeds for biodiversity. So I kind of cater for that with the guidebook for wildflowers of Ireland and um, instructions and how-tos on the best way to make a little wildflower meadow for yourself. Whereabouts are you based? Out by Blarney. Um, I think this year there's like a really great organisation to the whole thing and there's a lovely flow of the variety of um, stall holders. Uh, so yeah, I feel like we had a great year last year, but this year is actually a lot, lot better. It's brilliant. That's our Farm Talk programme for now. Thanks to John O'Connor for his input, Mairead Tuhig, Katie O'Keefe and Stephen Fox for their contributions, and Eric Griffin and Rory Burke, who ensure everything is right at the technical end. And on behalf of us all, a very happy Christmas to everyone. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Thanks for listening. Farm Talk on C103. 
Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.